Welcome to the show. This is Recover Like a Mother. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Lane Kennedy, and this show is inspired by recovery and living a calm life. If you're missing out on living a calm life, I'm so glad you're here. If you're in recovery and you're looking for answers, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for being here. Now let's get into today's episode. I love that we're able to connect and be on this call. I had no idea. I think you reached out to me, right? Did you reach out to me? We connected through Clubhouse. Yeah. And I just, you know, I heard you through there and I think that's how I reached out to you. Yes. And then we did that fun Cali, Cali sober conversation. Right. And then I realized, wow, she's got the intense sobriety. like she is really into it, which I love because not a lot of people are dedicated or committed and you are from what I, yeah, from what I gathered really invested in your recovery. Yes. I've turned my pain into my passion. You are listening to recover like a mother with Lane Kennedy. And this is Crystal Waltman. I'm really grateful to introduce you to her, a new friend that, again, I met over on Clubhouse. If you're not on Clubhouse, I want to invite you to join us. I have weekly conversations over there, and it's really powerful to be able to meet other mothers in recovery in the online space. So Crystal, welcome to the show. Thanks, Lane. It's such a pleasure to be here and an honor to call you my sober sister. Yes. And that's what is really uh, incredible about living in recovery is that we have this circle, this community, this sisterhood, and not a lot of people talk about that. So again, thank you for bringing that up. We're going to go back a little bit so our listeners can connect with you and your story. What was it like before you jumped into recovery? Yes. Well, it was a lot of chaos. I was a collegiate athlete at a very young age and In high school, I started playing up with the 18-year-old. So I was 14, playing with the 18-year-old, and we won our regional state championship, and that was my first drunk blackout. And, you know, being 14 up with the 18-year-olds, I had that social anxiety, and taking that first drink and just, zoom, went away. And, you know, couldn't wait to get back to that. So I continued to play sports and be a high achiever, and then, you know, as long as we were winning... Nobody asked questions. It was really part of the culture of sports and in high school and college and club sports that I was around to travel with the parents and, you know, celebrate with them after they were doing their thing. They didn't care what we were doing, you know, as long as we were winning and, you know, fast forward that continued through my college years. And then I lost a friend to suicide who she was a very high performer at the end, you know, full, full ride scholarship at the university to look, look like everything was just put together. And that really sent me through a downward spiral of not knowing how to process that losing, you know, one of my best friends, childhood friends and like, what, how did I not know that was going on with her, you know? And so that, that sent me through a really into a spiral of not knowing how to feel. I, I really didn't know how to feel. And as soon as I Whenever I start to feel uncomfortable early on, it was a social anxiety, but whenever I started to feel happy, sad, glad, as soon as I started to feel a little bit uncomfortable, I'd reach for a drink and zoom, it would just go away. So it was really just my social coping bomb that I used. And then into marriage, I have a great husband and two, two wonderful stepsons, but every other weekend we had the weekend off. 
So we were able to, you know, go to social events and dress up and go out and just live the adult life, you know, with no kids in the house and go crazy. And then next week we'd have, we'd have the kids. Well, he was able to just go back to work. He's the CEO and just turn it off and go right back to work into work mode. And then Monday morning, I would be hungover and full of shame and guilt. So it would just, in my purpose and I didn't really have a purpose after graduating college and yes, I was working, but it wasn't really, you know, a passion. I was just working in sales and different sales jobs. And so I was left pretty empty and it just slowly crept up on me. I mean, it really is a progressive disease. It's not that I didn't, you know, it wasn't, I don't know. I just never thought that I would be an alcoholic and what my idea of, of picturing it was, you know, the the homeless person under the bridge with the brown bag, you know, that wasn't my life. And I was still so put together, but why was I just crumbling inside and just totally empty? And that right there, totally empty is is the common theme that women land on, right? There's, there's an emptiness. And you said so much, Crystal, thank you for all of that experience right there in your story. And a couple of things that I want to just jump into so we can give our listeners, when did you get sober? Six years ago. Okay. So you're six, six years sober. So six years ago, you had that emotional empty bottom and you found yourself desperate and dying and willing to change your life. You put down the drink. Was that easy or difficult or challenging? It was very difficult. When I got pregnant, I was able to stop drinking for a two year period to be pregnant and then to breastfeed afterwards. And then after that, after I stopped breastfeeding, my body just never metabolized it the same. And it was just not a good look to be a drunk mom. And I was just getting drunker quicker. Okay. Let's pause there. It is not a good look to be a drunk mom. Oh man. That is just like a loaded statement. I know not only is it not a good look, but it's illegal, right? Cause you have yeah. child endangerment. You have just so many, it's just so layered it's so layered and there's so many mothers that do that. And I'm not here to shame or guilt mother. This is uh, cultural. Like this is what happens. Uh, we say it's okay to have mommy wine time. It's okay to go to the playground with a sippy cup. It's okay to like be there drinking with your kid and it's not okay. And I, th- I think there's a big, huge statement that I've been saying. I, I think you would agree that it's it's not okay. It is illegal. I think that's what you just said. <laughs> it is illegal and you can't find yourself behind, you know, that guarded gate that you always want to live behind. Right. It, it is illegal. And so I started drinking with a child again, you know, and that's when it just, it got, it just really got desperate. And like you said, it was just very acceptable. What I was doing is slowly crept up on me. I was drinking and shopping. I was, you know, drinking at swim lessons, I was drinking at dance practice, you know what I mean? Just all these places that I, and then Uber just was an enabler because I was able to, oh, well, if I'm not breaking the law and, you know, and then, you know, just call Uber if I'm Ubering my daughter around at three o'clock in the afternoon, just because, you know, I didn't even think about that. Oh my God, Crystal. I didn't even think about that because I didn't have Uber when I like, this is, that is like another, that's another layer. It just makes it so convenient. It makes it, yeah, because if you take out, oh, I'm not breaking the law of dry drinking and driving, right? But you're still breaking the law of child endangerment. If anything were to happen to that child while you were in charge of them, you could be held accountable in a different way than just an accident. And I watched it, but Arizona was, you know, turned into a no tolerance state. And I watched a few of my 
acquaintances lose their license, not be able to drive their kids back and forth to school. And just really, you know, they had a bracelet or they had a blow in their car or they spent their weekends in tent city, you know, to, to serve their time. And it was my yet, right? It just hadn't happened yet. And I was so desperate one time. I, one last time I was out and I was like, okay, I'm not going to drink. I have my daughter and I drank again. And that's when I just came back so desperate. I'm like, I need help. I can't do this on my own. Every week I'd wake up and say, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to do that again. And I was just living in this insanity of same over and over again. And my husband didn't have a problem. He didn't understand. He didn't want me to label myself. He didn't want me to join this group or cult or whatever, or, you know, he didn't want his wife to be an alcoholic. So I got so desperate that I knew I might, you know, lose my marriage in surrendering. And that is it right there. So the insanity of sane, right? We think, we think we're fine, right? right? We're drinking, we're driving, we're fine. We got it together. So there's that insanity. I love how you draw that out really beautifully. And then the labeling, the labeling of your husband. He doesn't want you to be in a cult. He doesn't want you to be a member of something. It's so challenging yet here you are sober. Yes. And I had to, I, I knew one sober person on my street and she was an older woman and she just had it all put together. She looked like she just walked out a cover of a Chico's magazine all the time. She was a former gallery owner. She, I knew she had been divorced three times and I knew she was the only one on my street that didn't drink because I was that mom that pushed a stroller around with, you know, vodka lemonade in my tumbler, you know, in my stretch pants, I'm working out, everything's fine. You know, as long as I'm walking, everything's fine. And anyways, I went to her after this one desperate night and, and the next day I was pushing my daughter on the swing and she walked over and she's like, how you doing? You know, where's husband? Cause he traveled quite a bit. And so she would always check on me. And I said, how did you stop drinking? And she said, and I said, and she goes, well, come with me Sunday night, come to my house five o'clock. And I was like, okay. So I thought we were going to go to dinner. Did you know, did you know? So you didn't know that she was sober. You just knew she didn't drink. I just knew she didn't drink. And she said, well, come to my house Sunday at five. So I got in a car, we drove and we're driving to this beautiful part of town where there's great restaurants on the side of the mountain. And I thought we were going to dinner and we pulled into this very grand church around the church to the back, you know, to these small meeting rooms. And then I realized, oh, and she's like, this is where I come every Sunday. And this is how I got sober. And we got out of the car and it was about, it was a Sunday night speaker meeting of, you know, roughly a hundred people or so. And the joy, the hugs, I couldn't believe it. Just what was happening. Everybody knew her. She was so well-liked that they hugged me just because I was with her. We're so happy you're here. I'm crying like literally crying, you know, and then I went with her and I heard a speaker that night and, and then that was it for me. And it was, he was an athlete and I heard that story and I was like, wow, if he can do it, I can do it. And so I did what she said, you know, I, uh, coming from an athletic background, I can follow a playbook very well. And I did exactly what she said. I stopped everything socially, erase my calendar didn't know what but I just knew I couldn't keep doing what I was doing went to 90 meetings in 90 days I called her after every meeting I saw her once a week and it was the best and hardest thing I ever did I cried at meetings for the first 30 days sat sitting in the back corner you know just full of shame and guilt you know I couldn't it took me over about 30 days to so I could share until I found a home uh, home meeting and I found a home meeting with one that had childcare. And this is really where I just found my sisters. 
I mean, because we were all there with our kids and going through the same thing. And this is how I know that there is a divine presence that watches over us because there is no way you walked into this mutual aid meeting and there was an athlete speaking, not a housewife, not a doctor, not uh, a teenager, an athlete, someone who you could relate to. Right. And you just said, if he could do it, I could do it. There was a similarity. And that's the same thing for me. When I walked into a mutual aid, there was a fellow model talking about her story and ironing sheets. And I was like, what? She's telling my, like, I couldn't, I I was like, what is happening here? There's something also about the hugs and the bright eyes and being able to just take that all in as someone who is desperate, dying, broken, feeling the guilt and the shame, just having all of that love poured on top. What's not to like about that? It's like, so it's so good. How old was your daughter when you, when you decided, when that decided, when you had that moment? Uh, Four years old. Okay. So she saw you under the influence and then she has seen you get sober. And have you talked to her about your sobriety and recovery? Yes. Not only that, but you know, like I said, she goes to meetings with me and she overhears my podcast now, you know, writing my book. So that I had a few relapses. You know, I, I would get to this year and go like, I did it. Maybe I'm healed. You know, and these, these things start to creep back in again, or maybe I'll just try it again. I, I got rid of all my resentment. I got rid of all this, you know, I don't have anything to be angry about. Maybe I can just have one. So then I had a relapse and it took me like two, two to three weeks before I ended up back in the hospital again. And then that, then I went a year again and then it happened again. I never got my 18 month. And then I was like, what am I going to do differently this time? And the double agent of the anonymity was what was still holding me back. And so I decided to write a book and out myself. So, you know, yes, my daughter knows my story, right? Because I'm, I'm on the news talking about it. I'm talking about it every day. (laughs) Like I am a softball coach. I, you know, had a whole whole bunch of jobs and I'm like, I don't know if I'm ever going to work again. When I put this out, right, you have that fear. I don't know if, if I'll stay married. I don't know if I'll ever work again. I don't know what, but you just, you, you're so desperate that you just have to let it out. And then once you let it out, people are like, that's it. It's almost like doing the, doing the inventory. My first time I did my inventory with my sponsor and I wrote it on, she's like, is that it? I'm like, what? What do you mean? Is that it? You know? And so every, anything I could tell her, she, she was like, you can't shock me. Anything I, and you tell me, you know, I've done. So I, I wrote a book to out myself, you know, just part self-help and also about like, so you're sober. So what now, what, how, what do you do with that gift? Because I was stuck in just being sober for like three years, right? I would be sober and then I had a relapse and then I, Oh, I got to go back to just being sober. That's all I can do. All I can do is that because as soon as I start to do something else, I get, I get complicated. Then I just be sober. So now without myself, letting my story out. And now it has just basically propelled me into, you know, my work. And I, I had no idea what, what was in store for me as far as speaking and reaching people and connecting with community and finding my tribe. I mean, writing my book was the best thing about finding my tribe. There's nothing that gets in the way when we own who we are. Right. And I think that is such a valuable lesson uh, for women at any length of sobriety, because we tend to get sober and then we're going along the sober path and we're doing all the do. And then it's like, well, what am I doing this for? Right. 
And so a lot of times we hide ourselves and there is an unraveling that occurs. And I think that's what's happened with you uh, through the journey of writing. You've discovered your purpose of helping other women. And that's, again, we go back to just the, like, we go back to the idea of service, one alcoholic talking to another alcoholic, sharing experience. And that is profoundly powerful and often overlooked. How has this transformed your life? Yeah. You know, I read something that you wrote and I really like how you said, like you, you had to take out the woo, right? You had to take out the woo, right? Cause I hear people say that it's like all woo woo, right? And then when you put it back in with the science and the neuroplasty of like, you can rewire your brain, you know, and that's really like how they say, like people can't change their habits. Well, I believe that they can, and I'm proof that they can, and you can rewire your thinking, you know, what fires together, wires together. And then I, and then how you said you put the woo woo, you put the woo back in with the science. And I, you know, it was just so interesting because my, my path has been the same as far as following that. It's like, you got to take that out first. I need some hard facts, you know, then I got to live it. And then now I'm able to see why this, why this works. Yeah. I went to a mutual aid today and somebody talked about their third eye and I, I almost threw up in the meeting. Like I almost was like, no, I can't, I can't hear that. That doesn't mix (laughs) with me. And I work really hard to set neutrality because there are so many opinions that people don't even know. I, I'm an alcoholic. I like to make stories up and I get really clever. And so when we, when people start talking about the woo, 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 I go bananas. I like have this visceral, like angst come over me because I believe that there's a place for the woo. I absolutely, you know, spirituality that go chant and do all that work. But really when we look at the brain and what what happens in the brain, when we get quiet, when we practice gratitude, when we are of service, there is actually the brain changes, the neuroplasticity changes, the gray matter changes, and that changes your life as a sober woman, as a sober mother. So when people talk about the woo, I'm like, no, you you just please take that away. And, (laughs) And again, I'm all about it, but please don't, don't pepper that into the purity of what a meditation practice is or what uh, being of service is. Oh, I can't even. How have you kind of gone over that? How have you avoided that? Or how have you worked through that? See, I'm still working through it. Yeah, well, I am a Christian and I, I do do the recovery Bible, help start a you know program at the church. And I'm totally fine dropping the alcoholic label altogether because I'm a Christian. It's like, you know, I had a battle with evil, God won. I am not that. That is, that was a phase that I went through and I have so much more. I am whole, you know, I am not broken. And so it, it took some, a lot of studying to, to find the right rhetoric, right. To, to get around that. And like I was saying at the beginning, all I could do is carry the label of alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic you know, that's all I can do. I just got to be sober and that's all I can do. But really there's so much more to life and you, you, you can be greater than that. And I, I believe that alcoholics are like the best people in the world, because if they can just get over that hump, they can be determined. And it's just like that, you know, that athletic thing that, that makes you good and go practice every day. And you can't wait to, to get back to that natural high, you know, it's that same thing and talking about the neuroplasty and all the, all the natural chemicals 
if you know how to tap into those natural chemicals, I mean, I, I literally say, like after I uh, have something go on, I'll have a good meeting or something. I say, I need to go get an adrenaline release. Like, what am I going to do? I need to go drive fast in the car. I need to go, you know, hang upside down. I need something. I need to go scream. Screaming is my new thing. Screaming. I, you know, I love the screen pillow or just screaming out the window. I love hiking, but I. Okay. Let's talk about the screaming really quick. Yeah. (laughs) I used to have people do this. I used to have my clients scream and they would think I was nuts, but then they would come back to me and say, that was the greatest thing lane. So how did you discover the scream? So interesting. I have a friend that um, also does breath work. And it's part of her breath work session. But I just believe that letting out, I always say better out than in for many different body functions, right? It's always like better out than in, don't hold it in. But yeah, I just scream and I felt better and I could feel that release. And now I, I do it. I, I do it. I can do it when I'm angry or I can do it when I'm happy. And I yeah. get that same switch in my brain mm-hmm. of like, okay, everything's okay. I feel this calmness. That is so key is being able to switch the brain, switch the brain, right? Using the tools to switch the brain. Yes. And when you discovered, you know, your purpose, right? Through writing your book and living a sober path, what has become your passion? Because there's a purpose and a passion. Yeah. My passion is to plant the seed, you know, to ignite many souls on fire sober souls on fire, you know, and just create this community. I love working with young girls and I coach kids yoga and coach softball, but just love planting the seeds. So when you say young, are you talking like 10, 15, 20, 30? What's young? Yeah, so before COVID, I was coaching on three different teams. I was my daughter's team, which was eight to 10. I was on a junior high coach, head coach there. And then I would also show up once a week on a high school field, the girls getting ready to go to college. And I was writing the book during that time. And it showing up on the field for all those different ages, it really just the words poured out of me because I could see myself and all the girls and those stories and the lessons that they're going through and the life lessons. But yeah, so my passion is just making the world a better place one person at a time. Well, I think there's something touching the lives of female or those who identify as female. There's something that you're going after Yes. in, in that message. Like you just said, the eight, the high school, all of them, because there's such a patriarchal, we live in such, such a, a world where it's hard as a woman. It is. And I got involved with this foundation called the sold out youth foundation. And it's started by retired NFLer. And he goes into, he goes into schools and carries a message of abstinence for drugs and alcohol. So the ideal age to get into is middle school, right? Sixth, seventh and eighth grade, get to the kids before they started. But taking these messages of these high profile athletes of athletes who are abstinent, right? You don't see those. You see the commercials of them, you know, selling the the different drinks and stuff, but you don't really get that message of abstinence. And you don't understand why somebody's so great when because their 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 purpose has already aligned. So yes, that is my passion and purpose is to get this program into a lot of schools all over the United States. I'm just dropping in right here to remind you that you deserve to live an epic and amazing life. And if you're not, I want to be the one to support you in overcoming your burnout, eliminating your perfectionism, and any of those ruminating thoughts that keep you away from the life that you want to be living. Check out my eight-week program, Mindful Safeguard, over at 
recoverlikeamother.com forward slash mindful. Thanks again for listening and let's get back into the episode. That right there is such, let's get into that, that the abstinence. I love that you just talked about, you know, here's this high profile athlete creating this program. We see all of the beer commercials with the athletes. We see all of the, I mean, it's incredible, but we don't see all of the good, you know, all of the, the messaging around abstinence. Why do you think that is? Why, why, like, what can we do? Well, it's not profitable. You know, it's not the, how do we make it profitable? Yeah. It's not the big business. I think, how do we, how do we make it profitable? Like let's become the ones who make it profitable. How do we do that? Well, I know, you know, there's all these waters and stuff that support recovery. There's different products that go back to nonprofits, different clean cause drinks, or, you know, I've people mail me stuff once in a while to drink it and, you know, post about it. And I know that's, that helps people in recovery, but I really think that the message is to get to these kids younger and let them know what I didn't know, right? I didn't know that it's progressive disease. I didn't know that, you know, it slowly sneaked up on you. I didn't know until I got pulled over. The first time I got pulled over, I was like 20. I was out for my 20th birthday and I was drinking and driving. I was with some softball players or college athletes and we got pulled over and they said, they were like, oh, you play here, you go here, you're going to call your coach. Like, we'll just call you. You need, you need to call somebody to come pick you up. And then they ask us out on a date and then said, well, we'll just give you underage consumption. So we got a, I got an underage consumption ticket, which was no big deal at the time. My coach suspended me for one game. So there was a little bit of, there was a little bit of a, a consequence there. Like, why isn't Crystal playing? I started every game. Did she, did she break her ankle? My parents showed up to the game, like what's wrong with her? Did she hurt herself? You know, never did they think that it was like a, you know, something else going on. And when I sat through this meeting or I had to go to five classes, five step classes, you know, court ordered, and I had to pay a small fine. So it was then sitting in those classes that I learned that my drinking was different than others that, you know, if you answer yes to four or more of these questions and you might have a problem with alcohol abuse and you might be wired differently. So I believe that that education should be, you know, at such a younger age and not have to wait till it's court ordered to, to go into where you learn about that. Like you should learn about that just like you learn about sugar. You should learn about this substance just like you're learning about, you know, cigarettes are bad for you. Alcohol is bad for you. You know, over sugar drinks are bad for you. You know, all these different things. So I think I, I would love to, you know, go as far as Capitol Hill and change the laws of alcohol advertising all the way up to the highest level. And what that's going to look like is for every ad that they run, then they also have to run the warning like they do with the cigarettes or overall just take that advertising, not being able to advertise to kids you know, not being able to advertise and they have to do the warning labels. I guess that's as good as it can get for now based on the big, you know, alcohol companies. But I, I would love to take this all the way up to Capitol Hill and change some laws. That's, that's it. That, that is so right on target. And I love it. It probably has to start on the ground, right? Grassroots, and then it's got to grow and become influential. And going into the sports leagues, uh, getting people in that arena on board and moving it up through the channels, so to speak. I think you have a big project ahead of you. I'm putting it, I'm giving it to you. So with this foundation, any of the schools that it gets in and the Super Bowl is going to be in LA next year, 
and the following year it's going to be in Phoenix. And we're doing this program on the Tuesday before of early Super Bowl week for these kids that are committing to abstinence. So this program is they record a viral video and they say, I committed to it. You know, they scan it in, they take it home, they show their parents, they ask their parents, because sometimes their parents might be drinking, right? And so they, the, the, the message has to come from the kid up and it can, you know, they can ask their, they can, a 12 year old, 10 year old can go home and ask their parents, hey, I committed to not drinking, you know, will, will you support me? So the message can come up like that. And then they go home and they, they tell a few adults, they tell their teachers, and there's this app of sober abstinence, right? These kids get on this community of abstinence at a young age. So powerful. Yeah. And then, and then the week of the Super Bowl, they'll meet the athletes that align with their values, right? Because the mm-hmm. athletes, whether they're in the, in that game or not, if they're tied in with this foundation, they come in, they deliver this message. So yeah, this is really, it's just been really great to reach kids and athletes and be sober. And I love being sober and helping. I love that. And I love that your daughter is watching. Like she she's said, watching. He is. And she said, mom, am I sober? She's 10 years old. And I said, well, yes, honey, you are, but you want to be by choice, you know, and this is something that you're going to have to decide every day, you know, as you grow up and uh, this program starting in her school, I got in and starting in her school this year. So we'll see how that goes. It's starting in Arizona schools. It's in South Carolina, it's in California, but it's a new year long abstinence program that if they can get into the school for five years, they can really have a cultural change. You know, if a school will adopt this message and it's about, you know, putting these posters up in with QR codes, you know, that they can scan so they can see the direct result of an assembly. It's not just an assembly. It's a whole year program. You know, some, the, the old message of dare and mad and moms and stuff like that. Those were the one-time assemblies that would come in. Right. So this is that plus more education and getting these kids connected and connected with adults that are role models. What a powerful organization to be a part of and to be able to watch something like this grow and to have your daughter ask you if she's sober. I love that. I talk to my son a lot about being a straight edge, I, you know, an, another approach to recovery, but he has often for years, he also went to fellow mutual aid meetings with me and just watching his curiosity right? Just being there to support him always non-judgmentally, just making inquiry. And it's been amazing to be absolutely present in his life. Like I'm not missing anything because I'm hungover or too busy. You know, I make it, it is my duty to be his mother. Yeah. Sober. And he knows that if I pick up a drink, all bets are off. I've been very, very clear with him about that. And my husband uh, drinks but it's ridiculous. <laughs> like he doesn't really drink at all. And we kind of laugh about it. So there is this ongoing conversation in our household about alcohol, about the, it could affect him. And it's been really open and just to grow his awareness because who knows? I mean, it is a family disease and I always want that opportunity to be there if he does need it. I don't want it to be this, oh, my mom did that. I don't want anything to do with it you know, and this program that you're talking about, what's the name of it? 
abstinence? The sold out youth foundation. The sold out youth. So this is another thing that I'm going to introduce him to, because this is incredible. Just tools that we can use with our kiddos in our, in our lives. So you're sitting here gorgeous as ever. And you have all of these books. Okay. Okay. You wait, like how many books are like titles you have eating to win training to win. Wait, like, okay. Yeah. Quitting to win. What's the green one? Is that a green one over there? Like, so oh my gosh. Um, these are my book quitting to win is available everywhere. Books are sold and it won health book of the year. Yes. It, and it's available on audio book. So you can get that. If it's okay with you, I'd like to offer to your listeners a free book. Yes. You just go to my website, you click on work with me, and then you'll see get quitting to win for free. You just pay for shipping and handling. These are eBooks that go along with the programs. It's eating to win green smoothie. So my book is part memoir, part self-help, you know, and that part too. And I think, as you know, and the, the, how we align with, I've seen all your certifications and background, but you know, what's most important about maintaining my mental health is water, sleep, nutrition, movement, and connection. Like it's those five basic things that you can do without anything. Right. And I have to do those things to maintain my mental health daily. And we and, forget to do that. Like literally do. forget to drink water. Yes. And most people are walking around like with cloudy, foggy head, right? Yeah, or sometimes yeah. maybe you stop drinking alcohol, but you subbed in something else and like too much coffee can't hurt you. You know, it can have the same thing. So it's like just these basic steps of what to do after you get sober or, or, and still how to feel great, how to just feel great by helping yourself on these small things you can do by protecting your sleep, you know, having a good sleep hygiene, drinking water, eating God-made food, connecting with your higher power and your friends and moving every day, you know, just that little 30 minutes, even, you know, I tell my daughter, like, go out, put, you know, go on the skateboard, ride the bike, do something, get your energy out. You know, you have to, I like walking the dog and I like going to the gym and doing yoga. And so I don't have a problem getting my 30 minutes of movement in because it's, it's part of my day, no matter what. It's like a non-negotiable. I've already worked that in when I plan my week. I think that's really important right there, right there. Wind it back. You've planned it into your day already. It's a non-negotiable. That's what I'm hearing from you. Yeah. So what are your non-negotiables? So with my, you know, alcoholic behavior, I realized that what my non-negotiables are to keep me emotionally sober. And that's what these eBooks are really about. And the part two of my book is just my non-negotiables are sleep, eating, water, food, connection and movement. Those five, I, I keep a good sleep hygiene. Like at certain times, the alarm goes off. My, my phone goes on moon from 7 PM to 7 AM. You know, I start my day off with intention instead of being reactive. I don't touch my device until I do two or three things first. What are um, those two or three things? Drink water and work out. Okay. Wait a minute. You drink water and work out before you touch your phone. Yes. I love you. I, I wake up <laughs> and I do that because I want to get my clear head and that's my time with, to make a connection and go through, like, as soon as I touch my phone, it's go time. You know, I'm in responsive mode. I'm, yeah. I'm reacting to whatever, you know, I have to do instead of being purposeful. So it's easy. I mean, it's not easy, but, but you can retrain yourself. It, it takes time, right? It really takes time to train yourself, to put the phone in the other room, in the drawer, good night. And then you wake up with it, you know, tomorrow at 10 AM or something. Yeah. It, it really is a, it's hard to do that because we're so conditioned now. Yeah. And I'm teaching this, this, I have this 30 day course that I teach called unhackable 
and it's about how, you know, everything is. So basically what does it mean to be hacked? Is it something has gained unauthorized access to a system or computer? Most of the time we think it's like our bank accounts, but I was being hacked by alcohol for many years, right? Something else is gaining control over my system or computer. So it's like, how do you not be hacked? And what is the feeling like when you're starting to feel loss of control, clarity or whatever, you know, it's like, okay, I'm being hacked. How do I counter? How do, what's my counter hack? to it. And it's just like the terminology of what's happening today, but everybody it's not, it's artificial intelligence is happening to us. Right. And yep. these addictive things and our addictive behavior now that we are not alcoholic anymore, you know, may turn into, you know, needing likes on the phone or whatever, you know, to get that dopamine release. So how do you, you know, just keep growing past that? All of this is so important for our listeners today. I just, love this conversation. And I love everything that you're doing in the world and the give right at the, at one of my, in my email signature, I say, give, give, give. Mm -hmm. And it is, that's what you're here. That's what you're doing is you are bountiful and you are giving, you are generous before getting sober. Were you this way? No, I was very selfish and I will slip back into selfish mode. I self me quickly. I mean, I got it. I, it's easy for me too, but I can catch myself right away. I can halt my hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And generally I can drink some water, take a quick nap, recharge and pull myself out of it, you know, and there's wreckage. I love how you keep talking about the water. Water. water is no, it, no, this is no joke. Like joke. it is no joke. And it is foundational to our uh, connection, our spirituality, our bodies, our health. And again, I mean, I work with a lot of women and I'll say, how much water did you drink today? And it's like a teaspoon. Yeah, like we just forget because we're so in life. And I always share like, get the biggest water bottle, fill it up three times. If you can get to four, you're winning but let's yeah. just go for a minimum of three because water resets the central nervous system. It resets boom in the moment. So ground out with your waters, lady, grab your water bottle. I, it's like, I'm hearing it from crystal. You're hearing it from me. Yeah. Grab the water. <laughs> here's what, here's one thing I like to leave people with. Well, Arizona ground is so hard, right? Mm. The, the dirt in the ground. If you're dehydrated, and you pour the water onto the dirt, it will just roll off, right? So if you let your body become that dehydrated, it's not like you can just drink and bring yourself back. No, it's going to take the soaking, the soaking, the soaking to get all the way to the nervous system and back into the tissues. So you want to constantly be sipping all the time. And it's not, you can't just catch up it. From the time you get dehydrated, it might take you a day or two to catch up because you're hard ground rolling <laughs> off. I've had clients say, but I have to go pee all day. And I'm like, I don't care. Like <laughs> just go pee all day. Just that or it's not absorbing like it should. Right. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter. Just keep drinking because then your body will change and shift. Trust me. I love that one talk you did on anti-aging or reverse aging. And I believe that, you know, and I've seen so many people who have, you know, since I've become sober, it seems like, oh, you're looking better. What'd you do? Blah, blah, blah. You know, and it's just a matter of sleeping and not having vodka run through my veins. You know, I was in a constant state of dehydration for so many years. And yes, I was thin, but I was not healthy, you know, and there's just an extra like set of glow that people ask me and I say, well, you know, I just eat less meat. I just eat less dairy. I just eat less sugar. You know, I just, I'm not, I just try to do my best, you know, and I just, that stuff, I want to perform every day 
at an optimal level. I want to show up for you. I want to show up for all these people. And I got so much to do that I just don't want to feel bad after eating pizza. And, and I ate pizza this last week on vacation with my family and it hurt me. Like it took about two hours out of my day. And I'm just like, why did I do that? Why did I self-sabotage? I just try to go along with my family and go, but I, I, I know my boundaries and I just, once again, you know, it's just like, it's okay. I just get right back on it. Right. Yeah. But I do have just, yeah, I don't want to hurt myself. Yeah. It's so as women in recovery, we do a lot of self-sabotage. Pizza is one of those. Coffee is another. Staying up and binging on Netflix is another. And so the inside work that we have to do, right, is to get quiet, to listen, to know our boundaries, to know our limits. And I think you're doing an amazing job in your life. Crystal, I want to acknowledge you and appreciate you. Where do you want our listeners to go and get that free book again? Oh, thanks, Lane. CrystalWaltman.com, W-A-L-T-M-A-N.com and just click on work with me and then click on the free quitting to win book and just pay for shipping. I look forward to connecting with everybody. And once again, it's just an honor to call you my sober sister. Mm-hmm. And I was drawn to you because of your voice. You have <laughs> such a calming voice. And, you know, Clubhouse, I didn't know what you look like. I could just hear you. Yeah, that's <laughs> so funny. Oh, thank you so much for being with us, Mama. I hope you have enjoyed this time that Crystal and I have shared with you. May you find something bright, something light, and something so divine that fills you up so you can be the best mother I know you can be. Until next time, take good care. Hey, are you trying to overcome burnout? So many people are. You're not alone. And maybe you have perfectionism running through you and ruminating thoughts of how to do something. Maybe you avoid things. I don't know. It gets tricky the longer that we are in recovery. The good news is that I help women in recovery access the life they imagined through a practice of mindfulness. I have an eight-week program. Eight weeks. That's what it takes to change your life around where you can start living and thriving in your life, the life that you got sober for. If you're burnt out in your recovery and you need a tune-up, you want to try something else, check out the Mindful Safeguard. You can find out more information over at Recover Like a Mother. Get on the wait list. It's an eight-week program. It opens and closes, and I would love to have you participate because I know that you didn't get sober just to live in mediocrity. No, you got sober to live a life beyond your wildest dreams. All right, I hope to see you in there. Thanks again for listening to the show.